This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP, hunting, shooting and fishing radio here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. This is a podcast I've been wanting to do uh, for some time and I've really got to give credit where credit is due to Burger Bullets. Talk about customer service. I sent out about four emails to the four major bullet manufacturers to, to do a show. I was hoping to get at least two, maybe three podcasts out of this. Now, within about Four hours. I had already had Corey uh, from Burger uh, emailing me back saying, yeah, we're going to have a look at it. It sounds interesting. Uh, they want a bit more information about me, about my show, which is fantastic. So then he put me on to Jeff, uh, which is a bit more specific from the marketing department. Uh, then all of a sudden he put me on to... Uh, Garrett, who is the production engineer from Burger. Yeah, the guy basically designs the bullets. So what better guy to talk to? So within 36 hours, we already basically had a show sorted. Uh, they wanted input because, you know, they wanted to give the best possible podcast they, they could. And I thought, absolutely fantastic. I mean, not many people sort of really give input. There's been a few here and there on the show over the years that have said, well, here's a few questions. What do you think about these? I'm like, perfect. If you've got anything to add, you know, add it in. We definitely want to give the best podcast we possibly can to our listeners. So within 36 hours or 48 hours, say, we already had a show basically booked in. So talk about customer service, talk about giving back to people in the community, to people like me here in the industry. And uh, in regards to the other companies, yeah, there was, uh, I've got to say, extremely disappointing. Uh, Not one of the other ones got back to me. Uh, after I emailed them and uh, tried to tried to get an interview with them, so pretty poor to be brutally honest. But that's where you know the the, the companies like Burger are succeeding, and there's a reason they make top quality bullets. But there's also a reason they're doing so well is because they're top customer service in giving back to people in the community, such as people like me. Thanks to Corey, thanks to Jeff, and obviously thanks to Garrett, who's going to be presenting on the show today and talking about Burger bullets. We're going to be talking about bullet technology. We're going to be talking about ballistic coefficients. And we're also going to be talking about terminal ballistics of bullets. We're going to talk about match bullets versus hunting bullets. Uh, Can you use match bullets for hunting? You name it, pretty much we're going to talk about it. Don't forget, I hope you guys also like the question and answer sort of mega mailbag or mailbag podcast we we had just uh, a couple of weeks ago. I get so many questions and it really is simpler just to just to put it into a show. And I hope you guys enjoyed that answer. A lot of different questions. A lot of, I get a lot of the same questions about straight shooting and and about yeah, where we're at with the show and you know what we got coming up. And yeah, so if you've got any questions, email me at AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can go to website Australian Hunting podcast.com.au and if you do want to leave a voicemail or you want to email me you can do that as I said at the email or go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au and on the right hand side what would you call it slider bar you'll see it once the page loads you'll see this little tab on the slider bar right hand side about halfway down on the website and it says send a voicemail if you are on the phone I know once the 
page loads, it sits right at the bottom. And as you're scrolling, it just stays right at the bottom. It'll say send voicemail. You can do it from your phone. You can do it from your iPad. You can do it from the computer, laptop. Just press the button and you just hold the button. You can record for, I think it's 90 seconds and uh, send in all your questions. I'd love to hear from you. We'll play them on the show. Very similar to what we did with straight shooting. Uh, So yeah, just do that and I'll answer the question. Once I get enough questions, we'll do another one of those mailbag podcasts. And if you do like the show and you do want to support it, you can go to patreon.com forward slash AHP. I do get a lot of listeners to the show. So most guys know I sent around an email just a, just a few days ago, probably about two weeks you know, before this podcast will actually come out. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of trouble at the moment with COVID and a lot of trouble with me running advertisements on the show and so forth. And, you know, a lot of people love the show, but unfortunately, that doesn't pay the bills, guys. So we're going to be going back to about uh, a podcast every three weeks, I'd say, every three to four weeks until at such time COVID is finished. Um, You know, it's a lot of time and effort to put uh, this product together every single fortnight, finding guests, writing questions. Uh, as, As guys know in the industry, from podcasters to YouTubers. It does take a lot of work. And uh, because of COVID, uh, a lot of people can't afford to advertise. A lot of people can't afford Patreon, which is totally understandable during these times. Uh, so you guys just can't afford the time investment at this stage until at such time, you know, that support you know, continues for the future. Uh, so yeah, we'll be going back to every three to four weeks for a show, but that'll give me also a lot of time to pick really, really good guests, uh, guests that I want on the show, uh, and also guests that you guys want on the show as well. And uh yeah, they're going to be really, really good guests. It's going to give me time to contact those people, uh, whether whether not not saying whether they're celebrities, but big people within the industry. I think that might want to come on the show. Uh, I'm going to try and get those people on. So it's every month. It's going to be a huge, big banger show. I would say, uh, but I'm hoping COVID nicks off as soon as possible, so we can sort of get back to normal uh, and get back to our normal Fort Lightning program but until then unfortunately it's a, it is a huge time investment guys as i said on patreon and, and there's just not much return at the moment uh unfortunately for for the amount of time investment that i'm putting in so i hope people understand that it just is what it is until covid finishes until the sort of industry support and support comes back on board and then hopefully we'll get back to that two-week regular programming but anyway let's get on with the show uh, i'm going to get into my show with uh burger bullets the product engineers garrett stoddard garrett welcome to ahp thank Thank you for joining me to uh, represent Burger Bullets and have a chat about uh, Burger. We're going to have a great show today. I think a lot of people are going to like this show. So thank you very much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here and hopefully we can get some good information out there for, for the consumers. You know, I've listened to one of your podcasts before, and as we were just saying just before the show, got to give credit where credit's due. You know, you guys, were when I emailed, um, I think through Corey and then Jeff, you guys were really straight on to getting in contact with people like me and wanting to do the show and spread the good word about Burger Bullet. So I just wanted to say thank you very much. It's very hard in this industry these days to, you know, get people to get back to you or you know, pride themselves in customer service and, and wanting to give back to the, you know, YouTube or the podcasting community and uh you guys have done that so i just wanted to say thank you for that and thank you for getting back to me and it's going to be a great show today yeah absolutely like you said we we do that is one thing we pride ourselves on is having a a very customer service friendly team here so we're excited to be here thanks man tell us about yourself uh garrett tell us about i mean i mean obviously you probably grew up in the usa so just tell us about yourself growing up i mean yeah a bit bit of background a bit of history and how you started working for burger yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did. I grew up in the U.S., uh, the, the Pacific Northwestern uh, portion of the country. So 
I'm from the state of Idaho originally. Uh, lived there for 23 years and grew up there doing a lot of hunting, a lot of shooting. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities in that area of the country for for over the counter and and controlled hunting. Uh, so was constantly putting in for a ton of tags every year. And if I didn't get drawn, I was always picking up the over the counter tags every year, going out mostly hunting uh, elk, white tail deer, mule deer, black bear, and, and that part of the country. So that's where a lot of my hunting uh, efforts and experience lies. And then. I went to went to college at LC State there in Idaho for mechanical engineering and always been just very passionate about shooting, hunting, both exterior ballistics and terminal ballistics. And I got the opportunity to uh, to work uh, with engineering group at a, a different bullet and ammunition manufacturer uh, here in the States and worked with them for a while, spent some time in a little bit of a different industry. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity to join the team here at Burger and absolutely jumped on it. So I moved down here to the southwestern portion of the U.S. and I've been contributing to the team down here and R&D efforts and manufacturing support, and it's been going pretty good. So yeah, how does the kind of how does the hunting stuff. compare to you know from Idaho to Arizona? I mean, huge difference. I mean, from what I understand, Arizona is pretty pretty deserty. So Idaho, I'm not sure about Idaho actually because I've never been there. I've been to the U.S. about five times actually, a lot of different places around the U.S. But never been to Idaho, and I haven't been to. I think I drove through Arizona, but I haven't technically you know stayed in Arizona. So <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, the, the two states are quite different uh, geographically and for a lot of reasons. The, the northern part of Arizona actually is quite uh, mountainy, foresty. They, you know, they have uh, quite a few pretty tall peaks and, and large national forests and things like that. The hunting, the, as far as species goes, it's very similar. They have white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk here in Arizona, just like they do in Idaho. They have black bear, they have mountain lion. Um, they have a lot of the same species. As far as acquiring tags and licenses, that's quite a bit more difficult than Arizona. So Arizona operates on a point system for controlled hunting opportunities. So every year that you apply for a hunt for a certain species, if you don't draw a permit, you get awarded a bonus point. And then after a certain, the the bonus point system controls what your odds are in the draw. Whereas like Idaho is just a straight lottery system. So everybody that puts in gets one application. If you don't get drawn, you got to go find something else to hunt and you put in again the next year. So it's a little bit different. Uh, The straight lottery system offers you a higher, I don't want to say a, um, not a higher, but a higher odds for acquiring a permit because your odds are just as good as the next guy every year. Whereas the point system down here Arizona is more of a uh, trophy quality management state. So that's kind of the reason for their point system is they want everybody to pay their dues, everybody to put in for a certain amount of time. And then eventually, you know, they draw that tag that that everybody wants and they get that opportunity to go on that high profile hunt. So that's kind of how the differences work uh, as far as the, the two places. Yeah, with, with that system, I find that very interesting. Is that for when you draw the tags? Is that for all game in Arizona, or is there any game you can just go out and just hunt on a you know uh, 
I guess a 12 month basis if you want to like you can if you want to just book a hunt or maybe some I'm not sure if you have public land hunting over there in Arizona but what types of game do you need the permit for or is that for all types of games so all types of deer you said the bear and so forth is there any game you can just go out and hunt like you know during the season like ducks for an example or anything like that yeah there are a few um so we, we have javelina here which are um, you know a small wild pig species uh also unprotected predatory game so like uh, coyotes things like that there are over-the-counter slash year-round uh seasons for for stuff like that and then there's also over-the-counter opportunities for the two deer species that are in arizona for uh, archery hunting but as far as rifle hunting in arizona for both elk and deer and both the deer species uh, the majority of the tags are a, a draw process so it's a controlled hunt permit yeah very interesting isn't it so it's pretty much because normally throughout the year we have a, a public land hunting system in my state in new south wales here in australia and uh you know we have a state you know like state land open we've got two types of state land so we have state forests and then we have what they call national parks so national parks are very very difficult to get in there uh there's a lot of issues with that but it's basically you know close the gates and lock it up and no one ever not even anyone really gets any access to be able to go into these parks to really do anything um, and there's a bit of bushwalking and so forth but but the state forest we actually opened up state forest for hunting so we have a lot of uh, uh you know classified as feral animals in australia so you know foxes we've got uh, goats we've got rabbits uh and in some states they classify deer as a game species and in, in which is my state as well but some states classify deer as a feral game species so uh in my state even though they're a game species if i want to book in yeah, let's say during the winter time and the the rut for deer, for an example. Well, I can book in. You know, pretty much if I can get time off work, I can book in as much as I want, as long as I want. Pretty much, you know, throughout the season, even so for the whole year. So if I want to go in in April for five days to go and hunt deer, I can. If I want to go a month later for another five day trip and hunt deer, I can. Um, so long as I can get time off work, I can actually go hunting for deer. So it's. Uh, but we yeah we do have a good amount of species of deer here in Australia as well, and you know some uh, some states are different a little bit in regards to how they treat deer, but still a lot of them are pretty much the same as well. They allow pretty much year round hunting of that species because even though they're a game species they are an introduced species into the country as well so uh, a lot of a lot of deer hunters get upset if you call deer uh, a feral species so some states treat them as game and other states treat them as as, as feral animals so it depends on which state you're from but uh, yeah it's kind of interesting because well, if I wanted to go and hunt deer and I got my tag of a lifetime and I took an animal I'd uh, I'd want to get back out there a month later and go hunting again <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah but there, there's not that many opportunities like that in the u.s unless you unless you go state to state so most states limit uh the the quantity of a certain species that you can harvest in the state to, to one so unless you you know let's say white-tailed deer for instance and that differs a little bit in, in the midwest portion of the country that, you know, over there they have so many deer that you're allowed to take you know, more than one per, per year, per season. But so let's just say white-tailed deer, you would probably, you know, you'd be allowed one or possibly two for an extra tag in Idaho. If you went to Montana, one there, Wyoming, one, there, et cetera. So 
that that does differ a little bit over here. Yeah, very interesting. How did you get into shooting anyway? Was it uh, was it a family tradition of shooting growing up? Was your was your dad into hunting or shooting, or how did you get into it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm from a uh, my whole family is is very into shooting, uh, both recreationally, competitively. So I was I was kind of surrounded by it growing up, and it started out just you know started out pellet gun, uh, twenty two long rifle, rimfire rifles, things like that, and it just progressed. And I would say right around the time that I was in college, I really started getting into center, precision center fire rifle shooting and, you know, long range shooting, both recreationally and competitively a little bit. Uh, I just felt like at that point, that was the, that was the next challenge, right? Was farther, was to shoot a better group and to, and to shoot a better group farther, farther away on target. So that's when I really started getting into hand loading and shooting multiple days a week and things like that. So now, I mean, I, I went to the range this morning before I came into the office. So I, I shoot quite a bit now. <laughs> yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. Def. I wish I could go. I live a bit too far from the range to be able to uh, get out there before work. Cause they're probably not even open, but uh, yeah, you cert- guys have certainly got a great uh, thing over there. So what about your, I mean, you said you liked a bit of long range shooting as well, so let's. Oh, I want to just tackle that just a little bit before we get into the main part of the show. But what's your what's your favorite gun and what's your favorite caliber? What do you like to shoot? Uh, the million dollar question. I don't know if I can answer that. I I, I have <laughs> quite a few different rifles that I you know I I, I do a lot of what I would call mid range shooting with uh, six millimeter cartridges. Like I have a six millimeter Norma BR and a two forty three Winchester bolt built for more uh, target application, target shooting applications. So, you know, from zero to zero to a thousand yards, uh, my, my 243 win is a great target gun. I do shoot a fair amount of six, five millimeter cartridges as well. Six, five PRC, six, five Creedmoor. And then for, for longer stuff, I have, uh, you know, 300 Win mag, three, three at Lapua. Those are those are good cartridges for that for that mile type shooting, you know, seventeen sixty, fifteen hundred yards, sixteen hundred yards, things like that. So I can't really say I have a favorite. I think I'm I'm think I'm sp- I'm spread too wide. <laughs> know. Are, you, are you more of a off the shelf type uh, gun purchaser, or are you more of a, a a custom build type of guy, or what do you what do you generally do? Uh, I would say both. I would say both. Um, I actually just. So this morning at the I had mentioned I went to the range was the first day that I shot a, a, a 300 Win Mag that I recently built uh, for kind of a specific purpose, but but I also you know was shooting a factory rifle while I was there as well. I think for for something uh, for longevity or or something that you want to be extremely competitive with for long range shooting, I think you you would probably have better luck uh, custom building a rifle, but there's a lot of factory rifle platforms out there that will work great for a lot of people too. That's at least my opinion. Absolutely. What about, what's your choice of scope manufacturer these days? Anything that suits your personal, you know, shooting requirements? Yeah, I have two manufacturers that uh, I primarily go with. I've had really good luck with them in the past. I have a lot of their products and I haven't had any issues with them. Uh, That would be uh, Vortex Optics. I have quite a few of their products for, for hunting rifles and for target rifles, and then also Night Force optics. And Night Force actually, I kind of got into or got 
interest in their products because their manufacturing facility here in the U.S. was only about 40 miles away from where I lived uh, growing up. So, you know, I, I knew people that worked there and ha- had quite a bit of experience with their products from a young age. Yeah, I, th- I think if I'm correct, uh, Night Force was actually started by an Australian guy. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that is. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, I mean, it's good to see that, you know, we got industry people getting out there and getting into shooting and, you know, bringing great products to, to people from the industry as well. So it's really good. But you were talking about hunting. Now, I know you, you, you told me about the species that you can hunt not only from Arizona to Idaho, but I mean, if you had to, if you, I mean, if you had to pick one, what's your favorite? What do you love getting out there to, to hunt when you get the opportunity? I, the- Elk have a elk have a pretty soft spot in my heart. Uh, I grew up doing a lot of elk hunting, and you know, it, they. I would say that in in the United States, they are, are some of the most challenging species to hunt. And, and you know, in certain certain states in the U.S., they're you know they're pretty exhilarating too. In the rut, you know, the the bugling and the the rutting activity, the fighting, the chasing, the they're just they're probably my favorite species to hunt so far that I have. Now this next month, I actually am taking off to go to Alaska uh, on a caribou hunt, a, a drop six day drop caribou hunt. So we're going to get fluent flown in on a bush plane and we're going to hunt the uh, caribou migration in the Brooks, Brooks range in Alaska. So maybe that might take over as, as uh, one of my favorites. I don't know yet, but I'm excited <laughs> for that trip. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. I'm, I think I'm a bit jealous, to be brutally honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you have any – what about any bucket list hunts? I mean, you'd like to go on in the future, whether it's in the U.S. or whether it's overseas. What what do you have on your radar moving forward for the future for hunting opportunities? Oh, I, I, got, a, I got a ton of them. We might be able to have to do just a, a different podcast just on my bucket list hunts. But, no, <laughs> so – one of them actually is here in Arizona. Uh, there's a there's a mule deer unit in Arizona called the 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 slang term for it is called the Arizona Strip. But uh, is the the correct the correct name for it is Unit 13B, and it's where Arizona borders uh, Nevada and Utah up in the up in the northwest corner of Arizona. It's known countrywide for being one of the the best mule deer units in the U.S. in terms of producing uh, trophy quality. So, uh, you know, they harvest huge mule deer bucks there every year. So since I've been an Arizona resident, I've been applying for that season and, and I, I haven't got drawn yet, but it takes a lot of points to draw that tag. So that's one that I, I don't think I'll ever apply for another mule deer tag in Arizona until I draw that tag. So that's, that's absolutely a, a bucket list hunt for me. Another one is for some reason, always since I was since I was young, I, I, I want a red stack. I want to go to New Zealand and go on and do the stag hunt. That's another one. Um, and then an Alaskan moose too. That's got to be uh, that's got to be up there. You know, I, I just have this this picture of of being out on the tundra and you know seeing a sixty or seventy inch wide you know paddles on a on a big Alaskan bull moose coming out of some some trees. So. Yeah, I would say those are probably my top top three at this point. There's there's lots of others, but those are those are the big ones for me right now. 
Absolutely. Speaking about that tag process, uh, yeah. So if you if you don't end up drawing a tag, does that? I mean, does that mean again you next year you you, you just go back into the lo- you know quote unquote lottery again? So it could be years again before you draw that tag again. Is that correct? Or once you draw it once, it's an ongoing yearly tag. How does that work? So in a lottery state, like you know earlier we spoke about Idaho, it's a straight lottery state. You don't accrue points. It's just Everybody puts their name in that every year, and what it is is what it is. So they have some different regulations. So, yeah, certain tags, you could draw it one year, and then if you draw an elk or, a, or a, an antlered elk or an antlered deer tag in Idaho, they make you skip a year. So you draw the tag, you go out, you harvest your, your bull or your buck. That The next year comes around, they may, you're not allowed to put in for that same tag that year. You can put in for a different antlered uh, tag, but you can't put in for that same tag. So that's kind of how that works there. So potentially you could draw the same tag every two years if you were super lucky. Uh, so the point system is a little bit different where like, as, as I was just talking about the Arizona strip tag, that's a, that's a 14 point max unit right right now. So it takes, it takes almost max points to draw most of the tags that are available for that, for that hunt. So, once you draw that tag and you go out, you harvest your, your buck, you, once you, once you purchase harvest, draw and purchase the tag, you lose your points. So all those points you have been accruing are capped. They're basically cashed in, in exchange for that tag. So then the next year you're welcome to put in for it again, but you're starting over with zero points. Yeah. That makes sense. It's crazy, isn't so, it? How if you loved going on a hunt, yeah. like you, you, if you loved hunting that animal and you think, oh, I'd love to go next year. Well, I mean, it could be many years before you, you get to go on that hunt again for your, you know, your, your species that you want to hunt. Because I guarantee if I got yeah. one, I would be like, oh, I want to do this again, like in, in a couple of weeks' time. But <laughs> you can't, I guess. You've got to wait. It's a tagging system. And yeah, it's got to be fair and give everyone else an opportunity, I guess. Yeah, and, and so it is. It's giving everybody else an opportunity, and that's one that's one advantage to having so many states uh, in the U.S. is they all have their own regulations, and you're in most cases allowed one uh, you know to harvest one of each of each species in each state if you want to you know pay the price for the for the out of state uh, license and tag. So I didn't I didn't draw the Arizona strip mule deer tag this year. But if I want, I can just go up to Idaho and buy an over-the-counter mule deer tag or an over-the-counter whitetail tag and hunt there without having to draw anything. So, you know, and I can do the same in Montana and I can do the same in, uh, you know, Colorado if, if I want to. So that's one advantage to it is if you're willing to do a bit of traveling and, and pay for pay a little more for an out-of-state uh, permit, then you, you can hunt every year and you can't do a lot of hunting, but... Just an interesting one there, Gad. I mean, just just so people get sort of an idea. I mean, when you go, when you actually put in for the for the tag, or you get drawn out. I mean, or you said an over the counter one as well. I mean, what's an average? Let's say if you're in the state and you're also going to another state, so it's an out of state. What would somebody generally pay, you know, to to get an over the counter tag or to go into one of those lotteries to get a tag? Is it you know twenty dollars? Is it three hundred dollars? Is it five thousand dollars? Just to give people a rough idea. Yeah, sure. So the application fee is typically pretty minimal. Uh, between I've seen different states be between six and twenty dollars just to apply for the draw. Uh, if you're selected, 
your tag, depending on the species and depending on the state, and if you're a resident or non-resident. So if you're a resident, depending on the state and depending on species, like I said, you're probably looking at between 30 and $200 for a tag for either a deer species or an elk species or, or something like that, if you're a resident. If you're a non-resident, uh, that changes things a little bit. So you then have to buy a non-resident license in a lot of states and also a non-resident tag. So like if I decide I want to go hunt over-the-counter elk in Idaho this fall and, you know, I have a lifetime license sign, but let's just say somebody that doesn't, I want to say that their out-of-state hunting license is probably around $100 and their out-of-state tag is probably around $600 for an elk less than that for a deer um so that, that kind of gives you an idea like i yep. i elk hunted in colorado last year and my out-of-state tag price was 670 i think so yeah it is it's an investment and it does cost a little bit of money but uh it just depends on how how much you love to hunt i guess yeah we all love to hunt <laughs> i'd be <laughs> yeah yeah Anyway, you, it's interesting, too, you talk about elk uh, hunting. I mean, obviously, there's a quite a lot of guys over there. I mean, we're all avid, well, at least I am anyway. I'm probably sure you are, too. I'm an avid consumer of YouTube and hunting shows and, and things along those lines. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that have started, you know, hunting up that way, you know, Utah and, and Idaho and so forth. And, yeah, I mean, it's good to see the elk. I mean, what a large animal. I mean, some of those hunts I've seen chasing around the elk, I mean, they're absolutely one of the biggest animals I've ever seen. And it's almost like you've got to have a cannon to try and bring the, bring the buggers down because they're so big, but yeah, I'd certainly like to uh, get over there one day. I don't know if even if I'd be allowed to in regards to the system, but man, that'd be, that'd be a bit of a dream hunt for me one day to go over there and try and take on one of those uh, big bulls because man, they are huge, aren't they? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're enormous. Uh, A big mature bull elk. Yeah. They're big. They can weigh, you know, 800 or a thousand pounds pretty easily a big a big mature herd bull you know yeah and uh and the antlers too it's you know if you're if you're packing out an elk you know you take a you could take a quarter at a time probably the average guy could and then it's a whole it's another trip just for the head especially if you have the cape on it you know you kill a big mature bull the the weight of the antlers is, is pretty substantial I've even seen the where they drop the sheds there, you know, and people, are, you know, people sort of. I didn't even know that was the thing when people talk about shed hunting. I'm like, what's that, you know? And then people actually just go out there to find the, you know, the dropped antlers of the of the elk, you know. And I was like, that's crazy, you know. Oh, like, yeah. Who, who would have thought that yeah. was? A, who would have thought that was actually a thing? But <laughs> it looks like it is. <laughs> yeah, for people do it for all for for multiple reasons, you know. Some people just they'll they'll watch they'll find a bull in in the fall time, you know, watch him through the winter and into the spring. And they'll, they'll be, have a spotting scope set up watching when he drops his antlers and go pick them up when they're perfectly fresh. And, you know, you can turn them into a mount or, you know, turn them into some kind of decor or something like that. And then some people just do it just to to sell the antlers for, for other companies that make things out of antlers. So yeah, there's a, there's a fair market for that as well. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. All right, let's we'll get into the main crux of the show, which is why we're here. So that was a fantastic introduction. So thanks for that. But tell us about Burger as a company and its progression into the bullet manufacturing arena. Yeah, absolutely. So Burger was founded in 1954 by Walt Burger. 
Uh, he was originally a bench rest shooter that, that thought that he could make a superior product to what was out there on the market. So he's, you know, at this point he's 90, I think four or so years old and, and he still shoots bench rest. Uh, I've, I've shot with him at the range recently, but in the beginning, he basically, like I said, he thought he could improve upon the projectiles that are available for bench rest shooting because bench rest shooting is all at 100 and 200 yards. So it's, it's very short range shooting and, you know, they're measuring the group size and paper. So, and he did all these things in his garage from, you know, making custom, ordering custom bullet dies, making custom bullets. Uh, he would buy jackets and he, you know, he had this little jeweler's lathe and he would, would turn the jacket. So it was perfectly concentric. Uh, and that is probably one of the biggest things that, that proved out for Berger as a company. And that's probably one of the biggest things that even today that we, we feel is important and we pride ourselves on is, is jacket concentricity. So, you know, as the bullet is rotating down the barrel and rotating in flight, uh, it's, it, it's creating any, any imperfection in the concentricity of the jacket is creating an imbalance, right? So if you have if your jacket's thicker on one side than it is on the other, your bullet's heavier on one side than it is on the other. So that creates an imbalance, just like when you take your, tires down to get rotated and changed they put they, they mount and balance and they put balance weights on them because they're rotating so it's the same concept so you know he he found that out a long time ago and that's proven to be a staple of why of what makes burger bullets so good and so it wasn't until 1996 that he moved into his first commercial building and then it, it kind of took off from there and in 2009 uh, burger started producing their first hunting bullets and it kind of evolved into what it is today. You know, some other people got involved. Our chief ballistician, his name's Brian Litz. He got involved and uh, Berger started facilitating the long range uh, shooting community and the long range hunting community, you know, with pretty high performance bullets in terms of uh, external ballistics and things like that. So it, it's evolved into a pretty wide product line and, and I, I think I mentioned earlier that we're also making centerfire rifle ammunition, loaded ammunition here too. So, so yeah, we're we're definitely growing and have a pretty wide product line. Absolutely. How did you get involved as the as the product engineer? I guess with Burger, what does that even entail? So, like, what's a what's a a day to day like for you? And and you know, I guess in the you're probably in the office, maybe in the warehouse as well, doing a bit of work. But what does it what does it mean to be a product engineer for Burger? Yeah, so I would say most of my responsibility here is uh, leading the the research and development and product development efforts for you know uh, product improvement as well as new product development. So all of our new bullets that have you know been released in the last few years, our new uh, commercial ammunition cartridges uh, that have came out in the last few years have been uh, you know I've been pretty heavily involved in those projects as well as. Um, product development, product improvement for our our tactical, you know, division, uh, the the products that we supply to different uh, elite forces and and things like that. I'm pretty heavily involved in that, but that's that is that is most of what my job entails here with Burger. Perfect. All right, guys, we're just going to go to a quick break, and we will be right back. 
Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. Gary, I want to talk about something you just brought up very interestingly just there. You said you supply. I mean, who do you obviously supply the, the hunting market and then the bench rest market and the target market, but have, have they got into any sort of, um, I mean, if you can let us know, like any yeah, military, they supplying law enforcement with bullets or anything like along those lines? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's pretty public knowledge that we're involved in a lot of uh, these opportunities. So we we can talk about it on here. But, um, you know, United States Special Operations Command, uh, they've selected a couple of our products to be used in a couple of different programs. And we're actually loading a contract uh, for them right now, loaded ammunition. We've also uh, been involved with, you know, United States Secret Service, United States FBI, and departments like that uh, for, you know, for contracts and, and programs that they have going. So, yeah, we're we're definitely involved in the, in the United States uh, military and LE uh, market, and, and that's something that we're really focusing on growing uh, our efforts in as well, so. Yeah, very good. It sounds sounds fantastic. How does I mean? There's a lot of you know good bullet manufacturers out there. I think a lot of people would say that. So, I mean, why should people choose Burger? Why? Wh- how does it compare to other products on the market? Well, I think our consistency is probably our our biggest you know uh, attraction. Just not even um, speaking in terms of bullet to bullet, but even lock to lock consistency. You know, there's uh, most shooters out there, uh, you know, they can buy a box of bullets and it'll last them, you know, a year or season or whatever. And then the next time they come around and they see that same product code on the same shelf, it's, it's most likely going to be a different production lot, right? And yep. I would say most of most average hunters, shooters out there could easily take that new lot of bullets you know, drop it into their same load and their same rifle. They don't have to uh, recheck seating depth based on where the OJIB is located on the on the bullet and things like that. Our, we feel our consistency, uh, both within a production lot and lot to lot, is is the best there is. And um, that also, you know, also that's in terms of ballistic coefficient as well, which is something that's important for somebody who wants to shoot long range or you know is shooting. Uh, competitively in a precision rifle discipline you know the bc and the bc consistency within the last lot of bullets you had is going to be right right in there with the new lot of bullets that you get so that's that's one advantage we also make a pretty wide variety of high performance products and by high performance i mean uh in terms of external ballistics right high bc uh low drag bullets for Long range shooting, or like I said, people that are shooting competitively in the in a precision rifle discipline. Uh, I think those are the two biggest attractions. 
for for what makes burger bullets good for a shooter, I guess. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was, this question was more towards the end, but I wanted to bring it up now because I thought it was pertinent to what you were saying right now. But, I mean, how has bullet technology changed over the last, say, 20 years? Obviously, you know, with the advent of not only, you know, long-range shooting, but obviously people that are proficient with their equipment for long-range hunting. I mean, how, how were bullets, say, I mean, I know I'm only 40 years old. I'm not sure how old you are, uh, Garrett. But, uh, you know, again, technology back when I was shooting probably my, you know late teens to to early 20s was probably a little bit different there wasn't as much as if any really of the long range shooting that i recall back then per se it's really come a long way probably in the last 10 years so i mean how how has bullet you know manufacturing changed and and what clients buying bullets expect from that product if they're going to actually start stretching out the legs of their specific caliber they're using yeah yeah that yeah that's a great question and it, that's a, a very deep rabbit hole, um, you know, I, I, to, use, to use the analogy. But uh, I, I think it all, it, it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like um, people started realizing that, you know, well, if, if I change the bullet in this way, it affects this in flight. And, and the, the advancement of, the advancement of, like I said, the, the external ballistics of bullets has been probably the biggest proponent. I, well, maybe maybe it's tied with another proponent that I'll proponent that I'll get into here in a second. But that's probably been the biggest proponent of you know the expansion of long range shooting is a bullet that is easily predictable in flight. So BC consistency. Uh, we already kind of touched on that, but that's important. You know the 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 value at which the the velocity of a projectile decreases and how consistently that happens from shot to shot is important for long range shooting, uh, and for projecting or for predicting your, your trajectory. So the other thing I would say is just the tools and resources that have been developed, like range finders, ballistic solvers, uh, just the advancements in optics, right? You know, 10 years ago, there was not the optics and not the ballistic solvers that there is now. So, if you, you know, you, you go onto a burger product, uh, burger bullet product page. So let's just say, let's pick a bullet here. I'll pick the six, five millimeter, 140 grain elite hunter. Okay. So you go on there, you get the BC off of the, off the product page. You put it in your ballistic solver. You take your chronograph, right? That's another thing that's, that's totally changed the world of shooting is a, is a chronograph. And, and then, and them being so widely available, available commercially is, Everybody can just go out. They have this load. They know it shoots well on paper. So boom, boom, get a couple of velocities. I got this BC. I put it in my Kestrel or my Sig Kilo or, or you know whatever they have, and it's there. The trajectory is so easily predictable that it, it gives you everything you need to know right there on, in the palm of your hand. And then, like I said, the quality and the magnification ranges of optics. This the scopes are so good now that they track so repeatedly. You get your output from your ballistic solver. You dial up your scope, and away you go. I, I think those are that that in conjunction with you know people like like I mentioned Brian Litz earlier. He's a you know a huge figure in the industry, and um, him the research and development that he's done in the advancements of of modern bullet profiles and 
and how he's made that, how he's publicized that and put that information out there for, for people to understand and understand why it's important, I think have been huge in, in, you know, just the, the advancements of long range shooting. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about this because this is something a lot of people ask me. I'm not even remotely even proficient. We, we, when we look at ballistic coefficients, so the the BC on the on the side of a packet of bullets or if you're reloading your own bullets, you've got BC. I mean, is it as important as we're making out or is it just sort of one part of the equation? You know, because sometimes when I've gone out, I mean, a lot of some people, I'm not going to get into the, the ethics of, we'll talk about it a little bit later, not so much the ethics, but hunting versus target bullets. I've used you know target bullet bullets for hunting before for for good results uh, i've used them for long range shooting or medium range shooting or varminting over here in australia as well so i mean sometimes i think i've concentrated too much on what's on what that bc says on the box and if i use a certain bullet and it's got a bc of say 620 but the other one's got a bc of 700 in in a, in a similar weight uh just comparing hunting versus target bullets i often go for the higher bc are we concentrating too much on bc or is it really is it one of the most important factors it is a very important factor, but I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's just one part of the equation. So the high, uh, a high BC is good for, for some reasons that I'll get into, but it doesn't necessarily make one bullet better than the other. It really depends on what your intended use is, right, and, and, and your bullet selection. So the reason, in my opinion, that a higher ballistic coefficient matters uh, for, for hunting purposes is a higher ballistic coefficient means that the bullet flies through the air with with lower drag, right? So it retains its velocity at a, you know more so than a bullet with a lower BC would, which in turn you know translates to a higher impact velocity on your target, which for hunting situations is is an animal, is game. So that translates to more energy and more energy being transferred to the game for more you know, uh, a more ethical, more quick, you know, clean harvest, which is what something that we're all interested in as hunters, right? Yeah. So that's one reason that, that that a higher BC is important for for a hunting bullet, especially if you're shooting, if you if you're long range hunting. The other reason is as hunters, we're we're out in in the elements, right? We're, there's wind, there's rain. There, we're shooting in canyons. We're shooting over draws so there's updrafts there's downdrafts uh so the, the bc not only allows you to have uh you know a higher retained velocity and higher retained energy downrange but it also it also negates that margin of error that's generated by by the wind so your bc you have a higher bc bullet it's a little slicker through the wind that might not blow your bullet during its during its uh, trajectory off of your, your intended aim point on your game animal, right? So those are probably the two, the two biggest proponents of, a, of shooting a high BC bullet for hunting, but a hundred percent, it's just, it's just part of the equation. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make or break your, you know, your system.
in my opinion. Interesting question here as well that I just sort of thought while you were measuring. I mean, how does companies actually measure BC? I mean, a lot of people out there, you know, there's always whisperings in the, in the community saying, well, you know, some, I'm not saying your company, I'm just saying in general, but, you know, BC can be a little bit overstated. So uh, how do you measure BC and is it is it really accurate or do, I'm not, I'm not saying do companies overstate it, but do they tend to, you know, put it on the higher aspect or is it, it is as it is on the day of measuring? measuring the ballistic coefficiency of that bullet? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And and that's something that I really want to talk about too. Uh, and I really want to shed some light on with, with burgers because we do, in my opinion, a great job of, of measuring BC. We have the right tools for it and we do it on a, on a pretty consistent basis. So all of our, every single lot of our uh, high performance target bullets, and a lot of our high-performance hunting bullets, every single lot is measured with a Doppler radar system uh, to measure the BC at both the beginning and the end of the production run. So I, I mentioned Brian Litz earlier, uh, our chief ballistician. So every he's in he's in Michigan uh, applied ballistics up there. So a sample of every lot is sent to him, and he conducts a test with his Doppler radar system that measures the BC and the BC consistency of every lot. So basically what the radar does is it just tracks the back of the bullet over a certain distance. So it's measuring the velocity decay. It's, you know, it's sending radar waves back and forth, back and forth at a speed that, you know, none of us can comprehend and measuring the velocity decay of the bullet over a certain flight distance. The other way of that's most commonly used for measuring BC is just, uh, velocity decay with like like velocity screens, shot timers. So here in our test tunnel here in Mesa, we have a 300 meter indoor test tunnel in Mesa, um, and we have velocity screens at 15 feet and 25 meters, and then we also have velocity screen at 300 meters. So if you know all of the specifications of that bullet, you know the weight, you know the diameter, and you know the the velocity when it goes through the first screen you can use that decay when it goes through the last screen to determine uh, an effective BC also. So that's a little less accurate than the Doppler radar system. Uh, so that's why we use the Doppler system for, for every lot, but uh, we do have also have that capability. Mm, no, very good. How does the design and competition, I mean, sorry, composition, I should say, uh, affect accuracy and ballistics of a bullet? I mean, just to give people a bit of a rundown, what's actually a bullet even made out of? What's the general core construction of a burger bullet? Yeah, absolutely. So the core is built out of uh, a low anemone percentage lead alloy. So we basically, we, we have a supplier that sends us rolled wire in different diameters. We use that we have a couple different core cutting machines. We use that to compress into a lead core that just looks like, uh, just looks kind of like a pill. And then we transfer that over to our bullet assembly machine. And the other component is the jacket, the copper jacket. So that gets, we have a supplier that we get sheets of copper and we have uh, a few different types of jacket drawing presses. So the sheet of copper goes in. And it goes through a series of drawing stages with, uh, where contact tooling um, runs a punch down through a die and draws the copper to a certain length, diameter, and thickness uh, and interior geometry. And then those get put together on a bullet press and the core gets seated 
and either formed with flat base or a bow tail on the end, and then it gets formed up into the OJAD die that forms the, the nose of the bullet. So it's really just two components, but it's quite a few processes to get there to the end. Yeah, sounds interesting, definitely. What's the, I mean, what? let's talk about both. What makes for a good target bullet and what makes for a good uh, bullet for hunting game and how do you do those tests, especially more towards the hunting uh, bullet scenario there? Sure. Well, let me start with, with what makes a good target bullet. So um, <clears throat> there's a couple different ways to look at it and it, it, it kind of the dividing factor is the intended uh, range that, or the, the range that you're intending to use the target bullet for, you know, uh, burger bullets are pretty popular in, in long range prone rifle shooting, uh, both mid range and extreme long range. So what makes a good target bullet for that aspect is something that's high performance as we've talked about. So it's got a high, it's got a high VC, uh, just for eliminating that margin of error of wind drift and things like that. And then also for, uh, easily predictable trajectory and it's got to also have a thick jacket to survive the you know the abuse that 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 it's put through for those you know high performance target cartridges like for extreme long range 300 norma mag right now is becoming it's quickly becoming a very popular uh, cartridge to be used for that aspect it's it's a monster you know it's like 88 grains of powder behind a 30 caliber bullet so so the, the bullet has to have a thick jacket to be able to survive those conditions. What makes a good hunting bullet is, you know, we like I've talked about before, is we all care about good terminal performance when we're hunting, right? So our, our hunting bullets are still made with, you know, high-performance nose profiles and bow tails and things like that that give them a high VC for a higher energy transfer downrange like we talked about, but they're also made with a different jacket design. It's not as thick. It's got a little bit different uh, interior geometry for a more rapid expansion on impact. So the ideal performance for a burger bullet on game is no exit. We want to transfer all the energy to the animal and for that, for that clean, quick harvest, like, like we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I mean, Certainly an industry I've been wanting to do this podcast for, for quite some time, but it was just getting around to, to asking people and, you know, p- putting the feelers out there to get this sort of stuff done. Because a lot of people don't know about this sort of stuff. They just get the bullets and they, oh, this is what I've got to do. And, <laughs> you know, this is the bullet I want for yeah. hunting or this is what it may be or this is the bullet I need for target shooting. But they don't really sort of know what goes into it. They don't know what goes into the construction, how ballistics affect anything and Hopefully, people are going to enjoy this show, which I think they definitely will. So, I want to get into the, the – we were just talking about it just a little bit earlier. This is probably a contentious topic for a lot of people. I probably know which way you're going to go, but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll ask you the question and we'll see. So, I've used uh, target bullets for, for hunting on, on various different manufacturers as well to, to good results. Uh, a lot of people saying they're getting good results with with target bullets. Some, yeah, you got people out there saying, "Well, no, it's it's careless and reckless, and, and it's not good. You shouldn't be using target bullets for hunting." So, where does Burger stand on that? Wanting to get decently high BC bullets for their their shooting applications, uh, where do they sort of stand on that? Is or are they specifically saying only use you know hunting bullets for hunting game? So we do recommend that. We, that our hunting bullets are used 
are used for hunting and, and not our target bullets. Our target bullets do have a thicker jacket. I'll tell you right now, they have a thicker jacket that is less likely to expand on game, especially when you get down to those, 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 and it's common in those long range shots is the lower impact velocity, right? And the impact velocity has a direct relationship to how that bullet's going to expand. So I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, I hear it all the time. <laughs> well, I, and I, I shot a deer with this hybrid target and it worked good. And, and maybe it did at a hundred yards, maybe it did at 200 yards, but maybe it won't at 600 yards. You know, I, yeah. every situation is different. Um, but we're a proponent of using our hunting bolts for hunting and, and our target bolts for target shooting. Yeah. So, that's good. So, how does uh, interesting question? How does terminal ballistics I mean play a part when selecting you know the bullets for hunting? Obviously, you know we we do aim for a you know good ethical kill. We don't want to be wounding game. You know we're absolutely you know we we, we want a good ethical kill. You know we don't want game running off because we don't want to lose the meat. We don't want to lose an animal. We don't want to wound animals. So, I mean, how does terminal ballistics and how do you guys come up with a bullet to say well this bullet is going to open up and expand at this rate uh, for a good ethical kill on game on, and different types of sized game as well from, you know, small game, maybe like, uh, you know, rabbits or javelinas, as you were saying, or to that bigger game on deer, you know, elk, bear and so forth. Yeah. A lot of it goes into uh, the, you know, the cartridges and the applications that we think that certain bullets are going to be used for. That has a lot of lot to do with uh, the design, especially in the nose of the bolt, because that's what that's what impacts the target first. That's what initiates the expansion. But we do a fair amount of uh, testing in ballistic gel and and things like that. You know, we we take into consideration what type of energy that a certain bullet, based on its based on its species, based on the comp, you know uh, average velocities that it's going to be shot at out of certain cartridges and certain applications what's that going to translate to at this distance is that going to be enough to open up this the nose of this bullet that has a 55,000 meat flower or 62,000 meat flower things like that and like I said we shoot a lot of gel so we try to do as much testing as we can uh, to get a good baseline of of what you know what we think a hunting bullet is what situations we think a hunting bullet is going to work in interesting question here i mean again i've gone through obviously the website i've had experience with burger before obviously um i mean a lot of the bullets i mean you guys provide i mean a lot of companies is it like tipped versus untipped is this is this a gimmick is it uh a tips necessary not necessary because i noticed a lot of your bullets or most of all of them don't use any type of tips so how does that really come into it is is having like the red or the green or whatever cut purple tip is it all just a, a bit of a gimmick or is there actually a reason and to go tipped or untipped well so the, the the tip is there for a couple different reasons and you know you'll notice that you see tipped uh hunting bullets and tipped target bullets so the target for target applications the, the tipped bullet offers um a, a more advanced nose profile right you know we do a we we have some some industry uh processes that we think we do a pretty good job of drawing that copper nose up into a very uh, small point, which adds to, to the ballistic coefficient. But, you know, some different companies that are making different style of bullets with different material, they can't get the, 
the nose that small. So that's why they use the plastic tip for target applications. Now, also for for uh, hunting applications, plastic, you'll see plastic tips used again. It's in a lot of cases, it's for a different different type of bullet. It might be like a heavy constructed bonded bullet or or something like that. But the the frontal surface of the bullet, like I said, is what initiates expansion. So if you have a bullet that's very tough and it takes a lot of energy to open up, having that larger frontal surface is an advantage. So with a tipped hunting bullet that that's that's intended for these applications, when it impacts a target, a, a game target, that plastic tip is gone. It breaks off. It's out of it's it's designed to get out of the way and present that larger frontal B-plus surface to initiate expansion. So in our case, in in Berger's case, our hunting bullets are not super heavily constructed. Like I said, we do have a thinner jacket and that's how we achieve our expansion. Uh, It's just a a different way of of achieving the desired result, but we have more of a thin material that we're still able to get to a small point in the front and we're still able to get expansion with yeah interesting so yeah so some companies can't get that like as you said that formed what would you say not tip you'd say formed up to almost like a tip like the bullet you guys do but they can't do it interesting i've never never thought about that before yeah yep interesting yeah uh a good question here a lot of people ask me this all the time i've got no idea hence the reason i have your expertise on the show uh flat base bullets versus boat tail bullets i mean what's the difference in downrange performance um where do they where is it better to use boat tail versus using flat um can you give us a bit of a rundown for that sure yeah no problem so this one's pretty easy really uh sub sub 200 yards you are in, in real world situations, you're almost never going to see a huge advantage of a bow tail bullet over a flat base bullet, just because the, unless you're shooting in very extreme conditions, like 70, you know, not 70, but 35, 40 mile an hour winds, you're really not going to see the advantage of the bow tail in those, in those close distances. But where you are is, is it extended ranges, you know, 400, 500, 600, 700 yards. That's where the, the elements have, so much more time to affect your bullet in flight that that bow tail is key for, you know, for bucking the wind for, um, you know, more consistently and accurately project projecting the long range trajectory. Uh, but like I said, and, and from a terminal standpoint, there's really no difference. We can't document a difference in our testing in terms of terminal performance between a flat base and a bow tail bullet, because all of the expansion initiates, up at the nose that's where everything gets started so i can't say that we that that there's a big difference between bullets in that aspect but as far as you know getting hits on target at extended ranges that's where the boat tail is is necessary in my opinion Mm. very good we're just going to go to another our final break and we will be right back Over the past year, the National Shooting Council took legal actions to protect shooters' rights over gun shop closures, gun reclassifications, and unfair license cancellations. And we did this across Australia. The National Shooting Council is the only truly national political action group that is taking actions to protect what we do. Help us do more during 2021. Join the National Shooting Council, which is the political organisation that you've been wanting to see there to protect shooters' rights. 
Garrett, I want to talk about how I mean, how, how do you think, say, in the next, mm, let's say, five to ten years, do you think there will be any major advancements in technology changes towards bullets, say, going forward over the next that five to ten year mark? Or do you think, you know, where we're at as a market is, is pretty much spot on at the moment? Uh, I, I do think it's it's spot on at the moment. The The biggest thing that I could see changing in the next, you know, five or ten years would be uh, material selections used for for building bullets you know especially with in in europe and in certain parts of the u.s with the push to to ban lead right lead is used more commonly than any other material for projectiles across you know in the entire world and across the industry so with that with that push going on that's that's probably the most immediate thing or advancement that i see coming down the pipe is is the industry at least trying to and investing in the opportunities of of alternative materials for for hunting bullets yeah it should be very interesting you're right there is a i mean it's happening in the u.s here and here too like on uh, duck hunting and so forth they've gone over to steel in some areas i mean obviously on private property you can still use lead like like you know lead shotgun shells over here in australia um, but yeah, a lot of the mm-hmm. public wetlands and so forth, you have to you have to use steel. But you know that also comes with its challenges as well. Using steel compared to lead, you know, when the how hard it is and stuff like that can be a little bit difficult. So um, yeah, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. But uh, one question I get from people, obviously, you know, you guys are in the US, you're one of the biggest purchasers of ammunition, I would assume, in the world. Uh, you know, sometimes it can be difficult to get burger over here in Australia. Sometimes it's a bit hit and miss in regards to whoever's bringing him into Australia, just getting supply to Australia, which is fair enough. Um, how can we short, ensure a good supply to Australia? Um, and yeah, can people expect to sort of, you know, get a lot more products into Australia from burger over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think so. You know, we're we're extremely backlogged right now just because of the state of the industry. But we're we're making some pretty aggressive uh, advancements in, as far as expansion. We're adding a lot more capacity, both for uh, component bullet manufacturing and ammo manufacturing. Uh, we do have the two dealers in Australia, BRT and and Queensland Rifle Association. So maybe possibly one thing that that. Uh, might help also for at least on a consumer level would be, you know, additional dealers. I don't know that we're just because of, like I said, the state of the industry, we're accepting additional dealers right now, but maybe in the future, that might be something that, uh, you know, to look at or look out for, but we're doing it. We're doing everything we can. I, I, I ensure people that almost daily, you know, I, even in my personal life, I talk to people they are like, well, I can't get, I can't get seven millimeter one eighty uh, hybrids. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're making everything we can. So yeah, but, it's certainly been a hit a lot harder, hasn't it? With um, especially with the, the 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 virus, we won't speak of. Um, you know, getting you know, I mean, you see what's happened with um, Prime. As I got a lot of buddies uh, that I've interviewed from the states, I got a mate up there makes uh, YouTube uh, videos up on um, uh, from uh, up in New York State, and you know, he's always telling me, man, it's just hard to get products, or you know, people are, are buying mm-hmm. up uh, you know bulk primers and and s- selling them on the gun trader websites for like two, you know, double the price or triple the price. So you know. It's yeah, a, it's a difficult it's market. It's yeah, it's unbelievable. It's like I said, it's it's just uh, just the state of the industry right now. And for some reason, everybody's in a 
in a big state of panic that, you know, they think they're not going to be able to get bullets. They think they're not going to be able to get powder. And uh, we're kind of kind of creating our own shortage right now. Yeah. I mean, hey, everyone wants to buy guns and bullets. There's nothing wrong with that, I say. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. Mate, a couple more questions just before we finish off. I don't want to take up much more of your time because you've always you've been friendly enough to do the show with me, so I appreciate that. Uh, what's the most popular? Let's go to um, reloadable bullets, so your bullets. What's your, what's your most popular bullet that you sell? What do you see sort of flying off the shelves, and what's the you know, most production bullet that you make that people just seem to like and um, it just seems to be working quite well and, and, and doing well for the business? Yeah, absolutely, and... The, the, the top bullets uh, for us are, are going to be target bullets in terms of sales volume, just because that's, that's what that market demands uh, a higher volume, right? You know, the target shooters are shooting far more, far more projectiles than, than hunters are. But in terms of hunting bullets, uh, the, the most popular hunting bullet for us right now is the 6.5 millimeter 156 grain elite hunter. You know, with the introduction of cartridges like 6.5 PRC and, um, you know, with, with the 6.5 Creedmoor cartridge being so popular and Weatherby's got their new 6.5 cartridge out there now. For some reason, um, the 6.5 millimeter arena is, is, has been for a few years and is continuing to, to blow up. But that, that bullet, uh, is performing really well out there. We, you know, we get, comments and, and emails and stuff from hunters every season that love that bullet since it's released, since it's been released. Um, we also have uh, recently in the last year, we released a 30 caliber 205 grain elite hunter that's been really well accepted and we've gotten a lot of good feedback on that bullet. And that's actually the bullet that I shoot in my personal 300 wind mags. That's what I'm taking to Alaska here next month. So uh, that's a good one for, you know, your 300 wind mag, your 30 out six, things like that. Mm. Um, those are, those are, those are two big ones right now for us. Yeah. I just bought a, uh, I've been a bit slack on doing a bit of any load development right now, but I bought a, uh, Bagara B14 HMR and, uh, I'm looking at that 200 plus, uh, avenue for bullet, you know, for a bullet. So, Hey, I might try the two Oh fives if, uh, see how they go. I want to, you know, I just bought that 300 yeah. wind mag. So a bit of, a little bit of long range shooting, maybe long range hunting and varminting, you know, it might have mold, a multitude yeah. of applications. So we'll, we'll just see how things go, that, but yeah. That would be, that would be a perfect bullet for it. I, I, I believe that that's the perfect, perfect weight class and perfect, uh, exterior performance for, for that 300 wind mag or 300 PRC or, you know, 300 ultra mag style cartridge. And that 205, it particularly was developed, um, with, with the hunter in mind and the aspect that hunting guns are, or at least, you know, tactical style rifles also are all almost always magazine fed. So the nose of that bullet is designed, uh, to function well in a magazine fed application. That's the thing too. I'm sure when you guys are developing, you know, making different bullets. I mean, we've just come out with the uh, 6.8 Western for an example. There's a lot of these new bullets, and I'm like, 
yeah, it's one of my pet. It's not a pet peeve, I guess, but I'm just like, guys, just companies ease up on the calibers. We we don't need any more calibers yeah. for a while. The companies can't yeah. manage as it is. Well, you know, the the bullet manufacturers can't cope as it is. The the gun manufact yeah. off the shelf gun manufacturers can't cope with the you know the new uh, uh, calibers coming out. You know, providing brass to shooters. I mean, in Australia, we we are sort of the last people. You know that 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 gets sort of supplied. I mean, I think even New Zealand gets supplied before Australia because of their huge hunting culture in New Zealand, which is fantastic. But you know, again, a lot of companies can't. You know, they're not making the the calibers for those off the shelf guns. You know, the components are very hard to come by. Brass is hard to come by. So stop doing that, guys. Just uh, let's just stick with what we've got for a while until we can get back up with, well, I, yeah. with construct. Uh, yeah, get back up with supplying what we already need to people that need it instead of adding. More bloody, uh, more calibers and so f- and so forth. Oh, I hear what you're saying. And, and one thing I would like, I would like to point out, uh, you know, in regards to that point is, I think Burger is probably less affected by by that trend than any other bullet manufacturer in the market. And I'll tell you why is because Burger has been making the you know the long high performance projectiles for a while now and that's what these new cartridges that are coming out are being built around like 6.8 western 300 prc uh 6.5 creedmoor 6.5 prc 6 creedmoor all of those cartridges are built to so they can be used in in standard rifle platforms and they can successfully operate on those long heavy high bc high performance bullets but that's right that's our bread and butter so all that those cartridges have done is you know, which to your point is is uh, driving the demand for for our products. But yeah, and that that's why I wanted to go originally the two hundred plus weight bullet in the three hundred Win Mag because I don't know. I guess I'm. I mean, I've got a two sixty Remington as well. I like the two sixty Remington uh, as I as my mate or as I always say to my mate who's got a six five Creedmoor. I said, you know, the the six five Creedmoor is the two sixty Remington ten years too late. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we, no, we, we I, let I them a laugh. On, I think you're spot on with that 200, 200 plus weight bullet for the Win Mag. I've, I've been, I, I've been running 200 plus weight bullets in a Win Mag for quite a while, taking a handful of elk and deer with them, and I with really good results. So. Yeah, I think that's perfect. And it's more of the BC, you know. Like I've got a, I've got a small. I think it's uh, just a ticker lightweight uh, stainless steel, just hunting model, you know. Because sometimes we, in Australia, yeah. when you know we've got state forest hunting, there's a lot of pine forest plantations. So sometimes it's very thick and wooded. Sometimes you can't see more than you know thirty feet in front of you. So you, you, you're very, very sort of quick shooting. You need to be you know on your, you know, just looking around and make sure you keep your, your wits about you. But uh, you know. Again, Again, those I use Absolutely. the. I think I use one sixty plus. I think on the seven mil magnum, but also. Uh, you know, on the wind mag as well, you know, again, you're just not seeing, again, maybe this is my concentration too much on BC, but any of that sort of that 180 range just doesn't seem to be as good on BC, like for that, for that 300 wind mag, I think that 200 plus is where, you know, it really starts to really starts to shine in performance. Absolutely. And I, and, and another advantage too, that it, I've, I've experienced, at least in my opinion, cause I've, I've, I've primarily hunted with three and wind mag for a long time. That's my, that's my go-to hunting uh, cartridge for a few different reasons, but I've taken game with 150, 165, 180 at 200 class bullets. Right. And in my opinion, 
anything less than 180 grains in a 300 wind mag is too fast for hunting. Yeah. And too by and by too fast, I mean you you're you're risking damaging meat on a on a close range shot. And also those heavier bullets, like you said, with the high VC, they start out at a lower velocity, but within a couple hundred yards, they take over on retained energy because of that higher VC. So it's really a win-win to go with those, with those heavier bullets and in those big, in those big magnum cartridges. So I think you're, I think you're spot on. Yeah. I, I was looking at the PRC, the 300 PRC, but at the time in Australia, I didn't really want to, you know, I didn't, you know, not that I didn't have the funds, but I didn't want to, you know, go for a full custom build or anything like that. And like I said, it's very hard to get components and, and, you know, I mean, even for the 260 Remington, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, almost $95 for just 50 brass, you know, like it's getting pretty expensive over here for brass in Australia as well. So, you know, when you start going to these, you know, inconspicuous sort of new calibers that are coming out, you know, your prices definitely go up in regards to components. I mean, I don't shoot as much as a lot of people out there that do you know because i'm in the city and you know i've got to, i've got to get out a couple of hours from my home before i can even sort of consider shooting unless it's at the range so you know it's it's i mean like as you said a lot of those 150s 180s even in the 300 wind mag yeah they'll do the job and absolutely i mean most australian game absolutely you know 160 150 to 180 would do the job but i'm also looking at you know ex- extending my shooting you know across valleys and so forth with with the right experience and you know, you just thought that two two hundred plus would be probably where it's at. But uh, my last, second last question for you, Garrett, is: my, any new products coming to the fold in Burger? Any new bullets? I mean, anything you can release here, or anything you can tell us about any new products that may be becoming available in the future, or you've got in the works? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the first and foremost. Uh, the, a little, they've already been released and there's already a few of them out there already. So that'd be the easiest one to talk about is, uh, the, the 25 cal, uh, heavy per caliber bullets. We've, we've just released a 135 grain, uh, long range hybrid target bullet and then 133 grain, uh, elite hunter in the 25 cal um, diameter. So, you know, that with the, again, with the introduction of the new cartridges and with the popularity of, of wildcat cartridges here, especially in the U S we felt that that would be a good move uh, to introduce something like that. We just recently introduced 223 Remington uh, commercial ammunition. And that's been a, a huge hit so far. We've got a 77 grain tactical offering, and then we've got a 73 grain uh, target offering. And those have been huge. Um, and we're also, uh, I don't think as many, many people, you actually, this might be the first uh, um, public conversation about it period, but we're also in development right now of, of the PRC commercial offerings for the PRC cartridges. So 65 PRC and 300 PRC we're in development right now as we speak um, for those. So that's kind of what we've been working with right now and, and for the immediate future. Um, but, but I think we got a, we got a few other things on the docket as well. Yeah, I was just looking at that. How does just a very quick question? Don't have to go too far in depth if you don't want to. But the VLD versus the Elite Hunter versus the Hybrid. I mean, I guess we'll probably go the two Hunters. I guess because that's probably the better. How does the VLD and the Elite Hunter rifle uh, bullet? How do they differ between each other? Okay, yeah. So the VLD that that you know the VLD design has been around for a while, and and a lot of people aren't familiar with it, but VLD stands for very low drag, and um, 
what's different about the VLD bullets is they have a single radius uh, ogive. So the nose of the bullet is is one radius and it's a secant radius. So it's not the radius does not meet up ta- at a tangent point to the bearing surface. So that makes VLDs high performance in terms of BC, but it also makes them uh, in in certain applications kind of finicky as far as you know as far as getting them to shoot accurately. They like to be shot within a few thousandths of the rifling in a, in a lot of cases. So they're they're they almost demand a a reloader. That's why you don't see VLDs loaded in 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 our commercial ammunition and not very many commercial uh, ammunition offerings on the market. Um, mm. The Elite Hunter is it, it offers a, a pretty big advancement over the VLD. Is they're a blend of tangent and secant uh, radius radii for for the nose profile. So what you get with the elite hunter is you get the inherent, you know, accuracy and good precision of a tangent ogive bullet, but you also get the high performance of a VL of, of a VLD, if that makes sense. So that's why you'll notice that we also have um, classic hybrid hunters and those are a shorter nose, but they're also a hybrid, but they're, they're meant for like factory, um, uh, factory length magazine feed applications Whereas, like the Elite Hunter is meant for that, you know, that either the custom rifle or that long range shooter that's that's, that's hand loading for for their rifle. So, that, that's kind of the main difference. Absolutely, mate. To finish off, tell us a story, um, professional story, anything you want, hunting story. Uh, when when you tell the story, I know a lot of people like to to feel like they're experiencing the story. So, you know, summer was it winter? Maybe a hunting story. One of your best maybe hunts where you picked up some great game or something. You know, summer, winter. You know, was it raining? Was it sunny? You know, let us feel like we're there when you're telling us the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I got one in mind. So Perfect. before I moved to before I moved to Arizona, I uh, as I said earlier, I was living in Idaho here in the U.S. And uh, the the unit that I lived in, the game unit that I lived in, because I I, I didn't live in a big city, you know, it was a fairly small town. So the game unit I lived in was was one of the best uh, mule deer units in in the area in northern Idaho. So they gave out, they had two seasons for mule deer for, and the early, they had an early tag and a late tag. And the late tag was, was during the rut. That's when the mule, the deer, the bucks are out chasing does, right? And I put in for this tag for quite a while, year after year after year. And after five years of putting, of applying, I drew this, t- this late tag, right? The, the, the rut hunt for the, for these big mule deer bucks. They they only gave out thirty five. They only gave out thirty five of this tag a year in the whole state. So that's all the residents that apply, all the non residents apply, are all competing for thirty five tags in a straight lottery system. So your odds are are pretty pretty slim. So I drew this tag, and you know I, I spent a fair amount of time scouting, and probably looked at no short of fifty or sixty bucks before before the season opened, and. I made this plan, you know, but part of that, that game area, it was the end of 11 in Idaho is it contains half of Hell's Canyon, which is the, the deepest gorge in North America. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, one of my good friends, coworkers, um, I, I made a plan. I said, Hey, the, the longest ridge in Hell's Canyon 
I want to start at the top of it and take a couple of days, you know, we'll stay out overnight and, and go all the way down this ridge and hit every draw and look at every single buck we can find. And, you know, we'll go after the best one. So opening day, we get up, we leave town, uh, we get out there, you know, we're perfect timing. We're at the top of this. This ridge is nine miles long. And the plan was to just, like I said, take time, bounce back and forth on each side, look at every single draw, look at every single buck there is and, and go from there. So perfect timing. We're out there. It's just getting light at the beginning of the day. And way down at the bottom of this canyon, there's a group of deer down there and you can barely even see through binoculars. It looks like a pretty decent buck. Yeah. And we're like, okay, well, it's early, you know, we, we got tons of time. So we spent the whole first day, exactly what, what, you know, what I said, we're bouncing back and forth looking. And we probably, the first day, we probably looked at another 40 bucks just because there was, you know, this is in a more secluded area. There's nobody out there pressuring them. And they're all chasing does around the flats and things like that. And found one pretty good, pretty good buck that I, I was, I would have felt totally comfortable harvesting, but he was a long ways away. I said, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's keep going. Let's, let's see what we can find. And it's cold. It's, it's uh second week in November in, in Northern Idaho. So probably low twenties Fahrenheit. You know, it's cold and spitting a little bit of snow and a little bit of rain here and there. So we get all the way out to the end of this ridge and down in that area where we had seen those deer at the beginning of the day, there's that buck down there. He's he's probably 700 yards away at this point and he's chasing does and get a spotting scope on him. And I can tell he's he's non-typical, right? He's got kind of some weird points and stuff on one side and, you know, good width and good time length and okay well let's let's try, let's try to get on him it's getting dark at this point let's try to get on him and he slipped into a draw and it got dark and we couldn't find him so we stayed the night you know went a few draws down stayed the night got up the next morning head back over to where where we last saw him and we're seeing some other little bucks and we're seeing some does and you can't you just, just can't turn him up and i'm like there's no way he left you know, it's, it's peak rut. There's no way that he left all these does. <laughs> yeah, he, as they say, go oh. where all the females are. Go where all the females are. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we're we're within a couple minutes of, you know, of turning around. We're going to keep hunting. We're going to head down. You know, we're, we're down by a river at this point. We're, like, oh, well, we're going to head down a river to find something else. And 150 yards away, right in between two does this buck stands up out of some brush there he is just standing there on the hillside and it's early and we i mean we're packed up my rifle is in my pack and i'm wearing it and he's standing there and i'm so i undo my buckles as fast as i can my buddy's getting you know um, bino set up on him he's like oh yeah that's that's the buck i'm frantically undoing buckles on my on my pack trying to get my rifle out and <laughs> lay down and he starts running up the hill you know those mule deer they they bounce you know they don't really gallop and and he stopped at you know not not too far away about 200 ish yards and kind of gave us the old are you ready yep okay boom and and uh and that was it you know he he dropped instantly and we got up there and yeah i I couldn't have been happier it was awesome awesome hunt we had a pretty tough pack out but uh it, it was worth it beautiful country and able to harvest a good buck that, you know, I'd, I'd waited a few years for a tag for. So 
that uh, that was a pretty good moment for me. Yeah, mate, good story. I always love a I always love a good hunting story, especially our people that listen to the show. I mean, this show's been going for just on probably I'd probably say this is one of the the if not the longest probably podcast running in the world actually uh, on hunting and shooting. We've been going since 2011, and one thing that people like to say is they always love you know uh, to talk about people's hunting stories and hearing other people's experiences without hunting. So Garrett Stoddart, he's the product engineer for Burger Bullets, joins me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. So, uh, Garrett, thanks for coming on the show, mate. I really appreciate it. Thanks for giving us your knowledge. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Glad to be here. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.